The first book I ever remember reading was Where the Red Fern Grows. And I guess I should actually say the first book I remember being read to me, as obviously I was like five, so I couldn't read myself, but that's besides the point. I just remember being so entranced by the storytelling and all of the characters, especially the dogs, but again, besides the point, I have always strived to get back to that childlike desire to take lessons from books and really become invested in them like I was back then. Hey y'all, my name is Rose Little and this is Off the Page. Woo, time for chapter two. And today's book, y'all, it hit me so hard. I don't think you understand. If you haven't read this book before, it is an emotional roller coaster. I was smiling at some parts. I was crying my eyes out at some parts. It was just the most beautifully written, eloquent, intentional book I think I've ever read. Actually, I know I've ever read because I've never cried my eyes out on like 20 different pages until now. So add that to the record book. <laughs> Today, we're going to be talking about When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi. And something to recognize about this book before you read it is that he passed away in March of 2015 as a result of the lung cancer tumors he was dealing with at first, spreading to other parts of his body, including his brain. And that's not a spoiler. It is written on the back of the book, I made sure. So knowing that information makes the book, I think, more impactful, for me at least, because you almost feel like these are diary entries in a way, and you're able to get this sense of what he was like because it feels like he is alive. It feels like he's coming through the words on the page, and it's absolutely a beautiful experience to have, and I'm so honored that I got to read it. So I guess just I'll give a brief summary of what kind of takes place so we can look at some quotes in the context of what is going on. But basically, Paul Kalanithi, his entire life motto is essentially finding meaning out of his life. He was an aspiring neurosurgeon who was really brilliant, honestly. He mentions a few things throughout the memoir, not bragging on them, just detailing what was going on in his life. And it really was just truly amazing at how much he was able to accomplish given how little time he had to do so. He was quite young when he passed away. So the amount of recognition and just acclaim that he was able to receive in the decade or so that he was working in the medical field is truly unfathomable. This book is divided in two parts, the part before he was diagnosed and the part after he was diagnosed. And I think something that would better explain the book as a whole is the overall central theme. I know I said his life motto was finding meaning in life, but the theme that comes through when you actually read the book I think ties in nicely to that motto because it seems to me that the theme is suffering is inevitable, so we might as well get comfortable with it and learn how to deal with it in our own way. And I know that kind of seems like the exact opposite of finding meaning from life, 
But I think finding ways to deal with whatever you are struggling to cope with and finding ways to deal with suffering gives your life meaning. By finding ways that help you cope, you can move forward, you can find meaning from that. So I think actually those two themes really go nicely together. But back to the summary, there's the part before his diagnosis and the part after his diagnosis. I think because of the way that he divides it, you get a really good sense of who Paul is as a person. Even despite this life-altering diagnosis, he never strays away from that overarching motto. He constantly goes back to it even before he was diagnosed. It wasn't like he was living one way of life and then a switch flipped when he was diagnosed and he completely changed. That is not the case. He was the same from beginning to end. And that's something really impressive, honestly. I cannot say that I would be the same way if I had to deal with the circumstances in which he dealt with and the way that he describes those circumstances and the ways in which he was able to think of them and wrap his head around them is truly, it left me in awe. So yeah, I don't, I'm trying not to overstep because this is a really difficult subject for me to talk about and I only want to give Kalanithi the justice that he deserves. Honestly, I don't know if I'm particularly worthy of speaking on this. I myself have not experienced this level of disease. I've had family members pass away from cancer, but actually, you know what? I'm going to take a step back for a second because I did have a very emotional response to this book. My grandmother passed away when I was eight, and that was incredibly difficult. She passed away from cancer, and a lot of it was unknown, at least for me. I was eight. I didn't understand. I had never, I'd had family members pass away, but not someone as close as she was to me. And that was something that I really struggled to deal with um, for quite a long time after she passed. Seeing Kalanithi struggle with these mental and physical battles that I would never know otherwise gave me a sense of closure, if I'm being honest. I didn't realize how much I needed closure until I read Paul describing what he was dealing with on the actual battle of it all. And that's something that I never was able to understand when it was my grandmother. Reading this and reading what he was thinking while he was going through it all gave me maybe an idea of what she was experiencing when she was going through the same. In a lot of ways, she does remind me of Kalanithi. They both just have these radiant personalities. I'm acting like I know him. (laughs) I did not know him. But just, you can tell that his personality is bright and he shined that light on everybody he encountered and she did the same. So I like to think that maybe they had the same outlook on not only their diagnosis, on finding meaning in their lives. So I think we're going to go ahead and move on to the lessons. And I'm going to structure this a little bit differently today. Just because, like I said, I really cannot do better. There, There's no way that I could ever speak better, write better than Kalanithi. So I'm going to let his words do the talking and I'm going to talk about what I pulled from those words. So let's get into it.
Okay, so the first quote I'm going to read today is from the section before Paul really starts to get going with his residency and his neurosurgeon path. He is in college and he's trying to figure out whether he wants to work at a summer camp for the summer or as a researcher, research assistant in a lab. So obviously, for somebody who might be going into residency, most people would jump onto the lab and kind of dive headfirst into that. But Paul is a little different, as we find out, and he takes a much more open approach to the way he lives his life, which I really appreciate. But the quote that I'm going to talk about is what he was told when he was talking to his advisor about his options for how he would spend his summer. So his advisor, and I'll try and read this correctly. This is from his advisor. What, he said, when you grow up, are you going to be a scientist or a chef? And that's from page 32. Kalanithi's whole outlook on life is based around finding meaning, whether that be in his work, in his activities, in the things that he does for others. I mean, all, his entire life, and you can see it throughout the book, whether he mentions it specifically or not, it's about finding meaning and finding an intrinsic value to your life. So what this quote is essentially saying is don't let other people try and get in your head about the path that you feel is right for you in your heart. Normally, somebody would go be a scientist, but he sees for himself that he would have a much better life experience by going and being a chef at some summer camp than he would being a research assistant in a lab. So he chose to work at summer camp, if I haven't made that obvious, because he wanted to create his own meaning for his life when the people around him wanted him to focus on his career. And by people around him, I just mean his advisor and people at school. So I think that's really important. Despite this really top-notch school and his advisor telling him, you should not do that, that's ridiculous. I've never heard of that before. He went against that. And I think that's really important, especially with I feel like most of us listening are in college and we're still trying to figure ourselves out and figure out what we want to do. So if you want to go be a chef at a summer camp and you're a biology major, go be a chef at a summer camp. If that gives your life meaning, do it. If you're a, I don't know, for me, I'm a public relations major. If I want to go work at a retail store over the summer because that's what I find joy in, that's fine. I think that's really important just for Somebody, I mean, I have also been told like, oh, why aren't you doing an internship? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Why aren't you preparing for your life? We all need to remember that we're, you know, we only have, as cliche as it is to say, we only have one life to live. So why would we do things that don't make us happy? We need to choose our own path and be the choosers of our path, not the choosies, not the listener. You know what I mean. Not let other people choose for us. As we come out of college, we have to remember that we only have one chance at this. And not everything we do has to be related to our careers or financial path. We ha just have to make time for ourselves to create meaning. And later on, Kalanithi, reflecting on that experience as a chef at the summer camp, says, Every day felt full of life and of relationships that gave life meaning. And I just think that is so beautiful for him to say that he didn't regret his decision and that by choosing what he wanted to do, his life was better for it. So 
I just thought that was truly amazing of him to stand up to his advisor like that, despite being basically looked down upon for doing what makes him happy. So moving on to lesson two of the day. Okay, actually, you know what? This one kind of relates to um, the last point I just made about giving our life meaning. Something else I think we need to consider kind of hand in hand with that idea is not doing things to receive some sort of external satisfaction. Uh, what? Like, don't. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to really dumb it down because I can't think of the words right now. But basically, don't do things to get something back from them, if that makes sense. Like, don't do things to get some sort of award or some sort of recognition. Do things because you find intrinsic satisfaction with them. And I believe that's a phrase I just used a couple minutes ago. But it again, it relates hand in hand to what we just discussed. I'll tell you the quote that I'm trying to frame for, and then we can go from there. Because <laughs> I'm having a really difficult time trying to explain what I mean. But basically, on page 100, Kalanithi writes, While most scientists connived to publish in the most prestigious journals and get their names out there, V, in parentheses, I'm going to mention that that was one of his friends, maintained that our only obligation was to be authentic to the scientific story and to tell it uncompromisingly. So essentially, take pride in your work. That's what I'm trying to get at. Take pride in your work and don't do things to receive some sort of honor. Because if you're always striving to be the recipient of an award or get some sort of recognition from the public, are you ever going to be really happy with the work that you're putting out? You know, if you're always worried about getting an award, are you ever worried about the people that you're trying to help or who you're trying to provide some sort of service to? Because at the end of the day, the awards will go away. The awards don't mean anything. But your impact that you have on other people does mean something. Take pride in your work. Have integrity in your work. Make your life meaningful by doing what you want to do with it. Not what will make you the most money or give you the most accolades. Oh, that was a big word. That was a big word of the day. That's what I mean by that. In all of that roundabout way, that's what I was trying to say. I just think that being able to tell a story, scientific or not, and being able to help people through it, being able to provide some sort of service that betters the lives of others is, I mean, what else could you want? There's nothing greater than knowing that you helped somebody out. Okay, so the last lesson, this is kind of a hefty one because I feel like it really does relate. I mean, not that the other things didn't relate, but this one is definitely something that I have struggled with. It's something that my friends have struggled with. But the quote I'm pointing out is on page 115, where Paul writes, You can't ever reach perfection but you can believe in an asymptote toward which you are ceaselessly striving. So that's the quote. And I really took this in my own life as being sort of a counteractive agent towards imposter syndrome. It's something I struggle with constantly. I know my friends struggle with it. And even people that I've talked to in higher positions of power struggle with it. I luckily have a job right now where I get to talk to people who take part in government and they struggle with it too. So 
this quote really lends itself to overcoming imposter syndrome because, I mean, he's just validating that we can never reach perfection, but we can work towards coming to some sort of curve where we are close, as close as we can get. And you know what? At the end of the day, we have to be okay with that. We're not ever going to be perfect. That's pretty much written into the laws of nature. For me, I've always struggled with not being the best I can be at everything. (laughs) Probably really not great for my mental stability, but I really do have trouble when I am not the best at something. I'm very competitive. Again, another red flag for me. I always get in my head when things don't turn out exactly the way I envisioned it. And it makes me feel really bad about myself. It makes me feel really bad about where I am. Just because I feel, you know, less than my peers who can do it right or less than my colleagues who can get it right the first time. You know what? I actually have like a real life example of this because I was just struggling with this the other day, actually. I, and this honestly, anecdote might be pointless, but I hope it helps you see kind of where I'm coming at with the quote and maybe you can relate to something in your own life. I am not a designer in any aspect of the word. I am not good at art. I am not an artist. I am not a graphic designer. I have no skills with that whatsoever. I've learned to have skills with that, but I still struggle significantly. And part of my job, funny enough, is actually to help make graphics. When I do make graphics, I often receive many notes on things that I need to go back and fix. And that Towards the beginning of my time at this job was something I really, 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 really struggled with. Like, I cannot emphasize that enough. I would cry myself to sleep, which is a little dramatic. I'm not going to lie. Saying it out loud, it sounds really dramatic. But I was just so frustrated that I was not finding it easy. And it was something that I had to deal with because I will never be the person that can whip out a sketch pad and draw a beautiful picture. (laughs) That has never been me. I think this quote, you know, and however shallow it may be, the graphic design, I will never be perfect at. I will never even be anywhere near perfect. But I'm always trying to work to do better. I have tried to take, or I've been taking classes. I've been trying to learn what the design trends are so I can at least put my best foot forward. So I think if we're all attempting to do the same, we're always putting our best foot forward. We're always trying to make ourselves better, even if we will never be perfect at something or we will never be as good as somebody else at something. As long as we are always striving to learn and improve our skills or whatever we're trying to improve upon, that means something in itself. We are ceaselessly striving towards this asymptote of perfection. And as long as you keep on trucking along, moving along that (laughs) x-axis, moving along in life, trying to improve. And if you do start to feel imposter syndrome, I hope you are able to reflect on that quote later on down the road. I hope you think of this podcast and I hope you think of that quote specifically because Kalanithi's words deserve to be heard by every single person and they deserve to be remembered by every single person. And I think that quote fits so many different situations and the lesson out of that is just so fitting for I feel like what a lot of people are struggling with right now. All right well that wraps up chapter two of when breath becomes air 
And I really, I don't think I said this in the beginning. Y'all have to read this book. It will have you in tears. If you need some sort of catharsis or you need to have some closure somewhere in your life, this is the book you need to read. Even if you're not dealing with the death of someone important in your life, you need to read this book. It truly is a masterpiece written by the most eloquent author I think I've ever read. And even as a memoir, it just flows so naturally in it. I mean, it embeds all of those lessons in there via quotes that can mean something different to everybody. Just because I didn't mention a lesson doesn't mean that lesson cannot come out of this book. That's what I think is so great about this narrative is that there's so much to take away and it's different for every single person who reads it. So I hope that y'all found some similarities between what I was saying and the lessons, if you have read the book, that you were able to take away. It truly means something different for everybody, which is why I'm saying that you need to read it and figure out what those words can mean to you. So that is a wrap up for this memoir. I do know that it was the number one New York Times bestseller when it was released in 2016. And it was also the finalist for the Pulitzer Prize. If that, <laughs> I know I said don't do things for the accolades, but I think he definitely, <laughs> I mean, I don't think he did definitely deserve every single award and recognition he got for this book. I can't express that enough. Well, that is it for today, y'all. If you haven't read this book, I would 100 out of 10 recommend reading it. I really hope you guys enjoyed today. And again, I know I've mentioned this before. Make sure to follow my Instagram at offthepage.pod. And yeah, that's it for now, guys. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll see y'all in the next one.